Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten Amen. Baruch Abishem Adonai. Shalom, everyone. First of all, I want to say, may this podcast be to the refuah shlema of our Esther Markovitz, Bot Sarah, and to one of our other Lapidniks in the McKinney area, to Miss Morina. So, Hashem, may you grant healing to your daughters. May you grant healing to all the sick of the house of Yisrael speedily in our days. May you make us all ready for the return of Mashiach Yeshua with full health and vitality. Amen. So, normally this week I would start the week off with the Garrett to the Romans podcast, but our Neri Arok is doing all sorts of tests and uh, academics and things like that. So, he is studying, 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 and so may Hashem bless him, and uh, we will look forward to continuing that podcast with the help of Hashem next week. Believe it or not, we've been at that podcast for a while, going through the letter that Shaul delivered via the, the Yad, the hand of a woman named Phoebe, who was traveling from Corinth, and she was headed towards Rome, and he wanted to make sure before he got there that these new Lepidniks over in Rome would get the, get the download and know what's up. And uh, he's really excited about them because who in their right mind in first century Rome is going to be like, yes, not so much with the Roman culture. Even though I'm in Rome, I'm not going to do what the Romans do. Because I find out when I do that, I die like in Romans too. You know, and it's just like, okay, so there's a rapper that wrote that line. So I didn't come up with that. But anyway, it's just he got so excited that these Romans are like, we're not going to do that. And so he's just kind of like, man, that's legit. Like anyone who's willing to be like, you know what? Enough with my modern culture that's all crazy doing whatever the baseless things of the world is. Like, yeah, I'm done with that. And I'm not going to go to all these restaurants that are on every corner because I'm not going to be able to eat there anyway now that I follow tour, now that I've converted, and now that I eat kosher. Oh, did you say kosher? Because that's in this week's Torah portion. So yes, Bezrat Hashem, we will get to that. But, you know, he's just all sorts of excited about these people doing this because who does? Like, think about us, you know, current day Lapidniks. Like, we're leaving father and mother, some of us, because they think we're going to Gehenna because we want to actually be obedient to a shim. And then we got people who are like, come on now, don't do that Jewish stuff. Like, come on, just pray for Israel and love Israel, but don't be like Israel. And you got the whole thing of like, if you do this, I disown you. I kill you. You know, um, it really is that extreme in some cases. Uh, I kind of say that jokingly, but no, it's serious. And the only reason I can even speak to this is because I'm dealing with it. You know, I got some parents who are like, yeah, okay, I don't know what you're doing, but okay, cool, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's really awesome whenever you tell me about things, but yeah. And then I got parents who are just like, I cannot believe I'm talking about in-laws and in outlaws and all sorts of laws and steps and, and biologicals and all that kind of stuff. I got 
lots of parents. So thank Hashem for all of my parents, my biological ones, my in-laws, you know, and things like that and extended families and all that. And then I got my beautiful Mishpaka that I come into, which is Kalal Yisrael, the house of Yisrael, all the congregation, uh, specifically my home base, the Lepidniks at Sar Shalom, headed by Rebbe Griffin, which is Rebbe Lapid, Rebbe get you some, Rebbe what's wrong with you, why you say that, why you do that, why you talking like that, um, and I love to call him Captain Israel. So, anyway, I say all this because, you know, Parsha Shimini, which is this week's Parsha in Vayikra, you know, we're just literally blasting off into a new dimension because you know shimini is all about the letter or about the number eight and yeah i mean if we're talking about numbers we're talking about letters so the the letter chet uh let me just give you a few things on the letter chet shall we shall we talk about the letter that represents the number eight the first thing you'll notice about the chet is it looks like a structure like like it's a closed-in structure like you can put over someone, like like a hoopa, yes. Because when you go uh, into Kiddushin, because uh, that's, that's how we refer to marriage in Judaism, is Kiddushin, which means holiness, which tells you right off the bat that marriage is not about what we think it's about. Marriage is not about, I love this person so much, so I'm going to marry them. It's like, no, I'm ready to be more holy now. So here we go, which extends to our Amuna as we follow Mashiach Yeshua. We have to understand that we are called to holiness. And that is the last verse of this week's Torah portion. Um, or close to the last verse uh, in chapter 11, where Shem says, be holy as I'm holy. And it comes right after the lesson, the first lesson on Kashrut, as far as the animals that can, that we can eat. There's other Kashrut laws that have appeared already as far as like, you should eat the Pesach lamb, you should not eat hamits during Pesach. Oh, are we talking about Pesach? Because Pesach is kind of coming up. And by the way, um, bless Hashem that Sar Shalom is, I know I'm going to talk about the letter Chet. I'm, I got it on my screen, so I won't forget. But um, yes, this is just kind of like me being so hyperactive because I'm getting to share this with you. So, but anyway, um, you know, Sar Shalom is doing a beautiful teaching uh, this Wednesday night, this midweek. Uh, we are going to postponed our conversion class and postponed tour to Basora class because this is so important. You realize the Seder is like the, like the entry point of entry points for like everything, Torah, Judaism, life and life abundantly. Like this is where Mashiach Yeshua literally laid down his life and said, you know, I'm not going to get to be with you for the Seder. So we're going to have it on my timeline, which if we're having it, uh, if like basically if Mashiach is setting up a Seder, it's that is the appointed time because he's the he is the time that's appointed and he appoints the times because he's the appointed time that was appointed by the one who appoints the times. If that if you can follow that. But anyway, 
just knowing that in him, you know, all things have their moving, their being, their very existence, right? You know, so if there's going to be a Seder held by Mashiach, you might want to be there because if he's doing it, there's a reason why he's doing it. So, yes, that I mean, because if you technically look at when Mashiach did his Seder, in our natural thinking, in our natural world, it was on the 13th of Nisan as opposed to the night of the 14th and to the 15th of Nisan. So it was 24 hours prior to that, right? So, yes, if that helps uh, a little bit with clarity. But anyway, so we're going to be uh, at Sar Shalom giving a teaching because this is the first year as little baby Yehudim that we are, we're having our Seder's home at home we're having home bound homegrown satyrs like everybody and their grand sisters whoever want to lead one at their home they're going to have a satyr so it's important to know how to do a satyr because for the past the previous years at Sar shalom we've been having a shul led satyr and that's been very fun and bittersweet and all sorts of good crazy amazing hardworking. you know lots to set up all sorts of stuff to think about kind of thing but you know baruch hashem now we get to do it at home. This is why it's important for us to understand as we are coming into Judaism or if we've been in Judaism, everything is a timed process. You don't just overnight go, yeah, we're going to do it exactly like this and we're going to be at this super stringency. We're going to turn this volume knob up over here. We're going to fade this over here and adjust this treble. Like, no, you can't do that. Like if you if you do, that's called living as an extremist. And uh, if you watch the movie Iron Man 3, then you know extremists is very, very bad unless you're like some kind of super person and are somehow able to maintain that level. If you are, then, you know, uh, high five to you, kind of, because I don't want to touch an extremist person because an extremist person, again, if you watch the movie, I know I'm quoting a movie why. But it gives a beautiful illustration that, you know, there's this this uh, I don't know, some kind of serum or formula or whatever that's injected into people. And it's supposed to cause their cells to do certain things like regrow limbs or if they're paralyzed, help them walk. But it creates a bad reaction if people can't assimilate that into their DNA and into all of their structure, their physical makeup. They literally combust and explode and get super overheated and stuff so you don't want to high five these people if they are, are not doing well with this extremist product but anyway that lets you know my frame of mind as far as how to explain things always using movie references good night so in short to get us back to the letter chet um, pesach is coming up and we're going to be teaching on how to do seders seders are really important and we need to take our time in judaism as far as making sure we're learning and we're growing at a pace that is maintainable that doesn't make us combust or explode or overheat so you don't want to lose your faith in hashem you definitely don't want to disown mashiach and you want to be joyous in your Torah observance. So that is a summary of what I just swerved off into. Letter Chet, because we're talking about Parsha Shemini, which Shemini means eight. Okay, so on the eighth day. So Bayom HaShemini on the eighth day. So let's look at, this is the wisdom of the Hebrew letters. 
check it out. They even quote um, Viagra 9-1. So let's go ahead and hit this up. Okay, so let's see where I'm going to drop in. Let's do this right here. Okay, so the study of Torah and the practice of its commandments are the ways by which Yisrael can strive to exalt human spirituality toward the realm above the natural. Okay, take human spirituality toward the realm above the natural. Okay, so that's from the Maharal. And then before I start going crazy, keep reading this. In this vein, Rabbeinu Bakya on Vayikra 9.1 notes the number eight is involved in various aspects of temple service. Eight holy vestments, like the priestly garments that we learned about Parshat Tetzave and Parshat Pekude. Uh, and then it says eight varieties of spices for the oil of anointment. Okay. So uh, the Shimon Hamishka, which, by the way, the only mention of Mashiach in Torah is of this oil. So there is no there's a person named Mashiach or believe in Mashiach or the Mashiach's name is da da da. You're not going to find that in the written Torah. So if a lot of people are believing in Mashiach Yeshua and they're teaching the word of God, then they by default have given validity and clout to the oral Torah because that is the only place you find the validity of Mashiach because, again, the whole thing that Rabbi Griffin went through on this past Shabbat about the the Jewishness of Melech David and his father Yeshai, like if you go through the written Torah, King David cannot be King David. He cannot be a Jew. He cannot be a king of Israel because his lineage is blemished because he comes from the Moabites. So that's a problem because the written Torah says Moabites shall not enter the uh, congregation of Israel. OK, so anyway, just watch that drosh. That was this past Shabbat. So Shabbat of Parsha Zav. Uh, which came right after Purim, by the way. By the way, I hope everyone had an excellent Purim. I know I did, and it was definitely challenging and exciting and exhausting and uh, just made me super hyperactive at points. So um, I hope that it was the same for you. And we need to know that through our joy, we actually battled against Amalek and became victorious. So if you made it through Purim and you had a smile on your face, you know, you have just punched Amalek right in the mouth, right in a kisser. OK, and he don't like that. So he's coming for us again. Uh, but anyway, that's cool because Mashiach's coming and we're going to get our holiness on just like we're talking about here. But anyway. The eight uh, spices are for the oil of anointment that goes on the people. This is from Stav Soldat, this little insight I'm about to give you. So Stav Soldat is our Avenger, who's the uh, Jewish version of the Winter Soldier. And his name is Zal, by the way. He was talking about, if you look at the oil that was used for anointing the priests, and look at the oil that was used for, like, say, the ketoret or the things that were going to be anointed as far as the furnishings. One is edible and one is not. Like, as far as the or organics or whatever you want to call that 
kind of stuff. And so the this eight spices that is used for this oil, it actually is edible. So it's really cool that Hashem is like, I'm not going to put anything on you that you cannot eat. So we're sprinkled with the blood of Mashiach Yeshua. But yeah, we're told we're not to eat blood except for when we can, which is what Mashiach said, that we are to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that's not being a cannibal, but that is a teaching to give us the understanding that the inner dimension of the Torah, which is the oral Torah, all of the Midrashim is the blood. It's called also called the wine. Wine and blood have the same color. And then you have the flesh of the Torah, which is the letters written on the Torah scroll because the letters of the Torah are written on flesh. So if you're going to eat the flesh, you're going to eat the words of Torah, you're going to ingest them into you, and then you'll drink up the goodness that is to go with the flesh of the Torah, which is the insights, the inner dimension, the orator, the Hasidic teachings, so on and so forth. So you got a nice little meal when you partake of Mashiach. And so Mashiach is really saying what we always say, that he truly is the living Torah. He's the word that became flesh and blood. And we're supposed to eat that. And isn't it interesting that in Yehezchel, Ezekiel, that Hashem tells him to eat a scroll, <laughs> So, I mean, it's just kind of like, so we've seen that precedent before. So that's, that's cool. Next up on the eights, we have eight poles that are used for carrying the vessels. Just talking about the number eight, the letter Chet. And it says that um, there is two for the ark. That's two. Okay. Okay. Two for the table. That's four. And then we got two for the golden altar. That's six. And then we got two for the copper altar. That's eight. Okay. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Hate. Like hate the letter eight. Okay. Anyway, that was terrible. Okay. I hate that I said that. I'm just kidding. I don't hate it. I love it. Okay. Anyway, so the other thing, there are eight musical instruments accompanying the Tehillim of the Levites. So cool to know that the temple service happened to the sound of music. And that music was none other than scripture, the word of God. So it's so legit that the, the spirituality that we experience in music that takes us into the realm of prophecy was none other than the word of God. So I desire that all Israel will prophesy like that whole thing. It's like, yeah, if you go to the temple service and listen to the Tehillim being sang by the Levites, there you go. Levites, the original choir, and they help you acquire prophecy. So that's really cool. It's like you can all be on one accord. You know, I had to do it. Okay. Anyway, so there are uh, uh, see eight musical instruments accompanying the Psalms of the Levites during the service, seven instruments and the choir itself. So the choir itself is considered instruments. This with the vocal cords. That's your instrument. You know, it's funny because I always think about when I'm on the worship team, they're like, okay, who plays instruments? Who doesn't? I'm like, I don't play an instrument. So I ain't the one that's messing up the sound check right now. And it's just kind of like, I don't have to say that because obviously it's apparent that I'm not playing an instrument, but I am. And all of our other vocalists, by the way, up there, especially the H&L and the M&N, the Ben Shekel over there, the Incredible Talent, 
Okay, so yes, I'm talking about Hillel and Mikael. Like they play instruments too. And Bezrat Hashem, uh, Kila will drop some vocals in there or something, something. Come on now. Anyway, so everybody's got some vocals and that's an instrument. So that's cool. The other one, here it is. From the eighth day after birth and onwards, animals could be offered as sacrifices. Find this in Vaikra 22:27, which means we as human beings are considered as living sacrifices after the eighth day, just like these animals, which take our place when we sacrifice them. So, yeah, so just say la. All right. So anyway, Chet is also the letter for grace. Before I do that, I was going to say um, back here with the study of Torah and the practice of his commandments are ways by which Yisrael can strive to exalt human spirituality. So there are so many things that people are doing in the world today that's absolutely ridiculous. And obviously it's been done for a very, very long time, which is why we should know it. nothing's new under the sun. So to know that people are doing all types of rituals to transcend the physical world, to get the spiritual experiences and nirvanas and things like that, that's because we have a level of human spirituality that wants to transcend just so happens Hashem knew that and he gave us the Torah and mitzvot to help us out a little bit or a lot bit, you know, or just really to just help us out. Because if he didn't give us the Torah, we were going to seek it another way, which is why we have to understand the whole uh, underlying fact about our sacrificial system is to help us do appropriately. This is a big statement right now. What we were doing inappropriately in Egypt. Midrashim bring down that we were making sacrifices to the gods of Egypt. Which is why, as Rebbe Griffin so frequently says, as well as all of our commentaries, that we were all idolaters coming out of Egypt and coming before the mountain, which is why we all had to... Today, hear his voice and repent for the kingdom of heaven is a hand, which all meant get converted, become a Yehudi, say, Nase Venishma, accept these crowns. Here's this Torah. Now go make the world a better place or make the world into the gun Eden. OK, because the whole world really is supposed to be the garden. So we can't be hiding Torah under a bushel saying it's only for Israel, not for the world. And we're going to make Israel good. We're going to make Israel great again. And we're going to make the rest of the world suffer and burn into the flames of darkness and despair and such horribleness and all this. It's like, no, that is not the plan. That is not the picture. The picture is the Elenu, that the whole world, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Hashem is one his name is one and we will all be worshiping hashem so light is meant for the whole entire world anyway so just pointing that out that we have this tendency to want to find some kind of way to transcend our our mundanity you know this is why hashem gave us shabbat for one thing also it's important to note that um where am i where is that I don't know how to speak French, so I can't be like, je te suis, je te suis. Anyway, I try to be like my rabbi. But anyway, so uh, 
Yes. Okay. So this is why we zone out with music sometimes. We try to zone out with vegetative activities of like just play these senseless videos or we try to drink ourselves into feeling better or we look after sensual pleasures to try to make ourselves feel better. Um, Bezrat Hashem, we're married and that is where that takes place. But anyway, uh, and we just we just try to find all these things. Oh, my goodness. My favorite one. Gatorade, chocolate cake, lemonade, uh, challah. OK, well, challah can't be really on that list because that's really what Hashem called us to have for Shabbat to transcend. But anyway, unless it's Pesach and then you don't have challah and you have matzah, which is like that's really holy. And you know it. Your body knows it. Your body's like, what is this? What is this holiness in my mouth? This is not what I desire. I want some challah. And it's like, OK, that's enough of what you want. It's time to be more holy now. We're elevating here. And when you elevate you kind of go through a little bit of turbulence. You kind of go through a little bit of, I don't like this part right now. And then you realize when you get up there, you're like, oh, this is great. Which, while I'm already sidetracked myself anyway, um, I don't know about y'all, but I've been noticing that just in my whole animal and godly soul, like that battle is just absolutely ridiculous all the time. But I'm really just kind of feeling like, why can't I just have my body submit? Like, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm on this like good stretch of like, man, it's doing really good. But then like for some point or some reason during this season right now is heading into Pesach and heading into Shavuot. I'm kind of feeling like an extra resistance, like like I don't know where this is coming from, which is obviously I need to take a account of what am I doing? Uh, how am I spending my time? And I'm really noticing it because um, I used to dance a lot. Now I don't. And I used to write songs like a lot. And now I'm not. And I'm trying to spend more time studying and codifying all of our sources so that when people have questions, I already have everything ready so I can send it to them. You know, by the way, just putting myself out there, that that really is what I desire to do for all of our Lepidniks. So if you do have questions, please voice message me through Anchor or get at me on the gram or send me an email or something and uh, holler at me if you need sources or whatever. So I can send them pictures. I can send you pictures or find out who has that information and direct you to that person because, you know, we got to all armor up. OK, we all got to get our legitness on and bring it. OK, uh, we don't have time to wait on uh, the Jews to preach the truth, uh, even though we know they are and we're not going to slight them. But and I'm saying the Jews, like obviously the ones who don't want to evangelize, so to say, or proselytize. There, there we go. Proselytize. The ones that don't want to proselytize and be like, no, nah, you're not Jewish. Was your mother Jewish? I don't know. You're not Jewish. Like any of that? No, just push that away. And here comes the peed. We coming through. Which, by the way, we have to know why is the Avenger thing such a thing? It truly is legit, by the way. You should know that. If you are listening to this and you are a Avenger, you obviously have had some experience with you do actually have a spiritual power that corresponds to your character and you should use it and you have used it 
and may you continue to use it. May it continue to grow. For those of you who aren't aware of the, the, the Avenger thing, you basically find out that a lot of these superheroes from the comics are just spinoffs of things that are available to us in Torah. Not that we need to get all crazy thinking about that, but it's pretty much what Hashem has already placed in you. So it's just a matter of the lenses lining up so you can see. Okay, so like, obviously, Hashem has made all of us superheroes because we have the light inside of us. We have the truth inside of us and we have been called to be a light to the world. So through that, we use, quote unquote, our superpowers to bring that truth and to illuminate this current darkness, to dispel false notions and rumors that have been allowed to sit on the proverbial throne for the past 2000 years. OK, so anyway, clear stuff up like why is the church the place that everyone wants to go to to find the word of God when yet it's supposed to be a synagogue because the synagogue is the only place that really teaches the full counsel of the word of God. We don't tell you don't worry about the front. I mean, read it, but don't really do it. And uh, we're going to do it like this. And we're not going to be with that Jewish stuff, even though we love Israel. OK, so like we're not doing that. OK, and we need to point that out, that what if there were more synagogues in the world than there were churches? Would people still go to church as much as they go to as much as they would possibly go to a synagogue? Just think about that. Think about if if we saw more synagogues that taught about Yeshua on every block in our city. And we saw like maybe one or two churches. Would people get the notion that maybe we should go to synagogue as opposed to why am I going to this church? It's a little known establishment. There's not many people going to it. Just think about that, because honestly, if you take a true look at the accounts in the Basora, at the accounts in Acts, at the accounts of the letters, no one was going to church. No one was doing Sunday service with like a preacher and like the choir and the offerings and the the like pork lunches and all that kind of stuff. No one was doing that. That developed over time and that was given to us through Rome because everybody needed to get politically and religiously on the same page and stop the fighting so that the agenda could go forth. And not to mention the Crusades, which was uh, uh, legions of people that were dispatched to remove the Jews from the Holy Land in the name of Hashem. So that they could set up their little thing, Catholicism. So anyway, that was probably, well, yeah, that was, that was just way deep, intense, uh, kind of crazy. We're supposed to be talking about eight and it went from like light and fluffy to like, yeah. Anyway, but we have to stand up. We have to bring truth. If we want Mashiach to return sooner than later, why are we delaying the process? As Rabbi Griffin so beautifully brought down last week, if we're calculating the times as opposed to doing what we're supposed to do, which is making converts, which is the Great Commission. This is all Matthew 28, by the way. Mashiach laid it out clear that we should be teaching Torah. We should not be teaching church. We should be teaching Judaism. We should not be teaching Christianity because Mashiach did not bring Christianity. He did not teach Christianity. He taught Judaism. Okay, that's important to know. Mashiach 
Yeshua. Like, that's who he is. Okay? Anyway, so we need to make sure that we are using our superpowers, and that's what avenging is all about. And so I say that to encourage, and hopefully there are more avengers out there that will come forth. Um, you know, like the super, the supers, which is Superman, Superwoman. Those are the weavers who are blowing it up with the historical accounts. They're on anchor, by the way. Uh, you can look up at super time and you'll find them. It's Sarah Weaver is the profile, but, uh, her and her husband, Tyler, they are just blowing it up. And then you got Batman and Batgirl all the way up in the Missouri area, they want it to be known that it's not Kansas, it's Missouri. So, okay, y'all, I got you, okay? Anyway, um, you know, so check them out. Uh, that is James and Jenea. Uh, and so you can look them up on uh, Anchor as well. So anyway, got to uh, keep going now. Okay, so spirituality the only way to truly kosherly properly do it, not the yoga way, not the Madonna way, not because Madonna uses Kabbalah and all that kind of stuff. And so do many other Scientology type people and all sorts of stuff. Everybody takes the tree of life and just does whatever they want to do with it. They just start putting Xmas balls on it and stars and angels and lights and all sorts of emblems. It's just like, what are y'all doing? It's just like, OK, so there's. The way, the truth, and the life, not the ways, the truths, and the lives, okay? There's one, okay? So Hashem wants to take our human spirituality to the next level beyond this creation, and we do that only through Torah and mitzvot. And any other way, you're going to find you're going to get into some weirdness, some uh, some serious power, but uh, it will be a denial of godliness. Ultimately, it will bring you harm. Then, back to the number eight over here. So, uh, I was going to say that it says the number uses, or talking about grace, but I'm going to go back a paragraph. It says, these uses of eight illustrate the symbolic means in the life of every Jew by which we can raise, by which he can raise himself toward the divine. It says, like, besides temple service, you can do circumcision. You could do the zit zit because there are eight threads on on a zit zit, and so you have the four corners. That's why it's uh, eight times four is thirty-two. So you literally have thirty-two cords and all that kind of stuff. And then you have uh, the Shemini Atzeret festival, which follows Sukkot. And then it says here, so keep continuing to go, it says, after man has attained the level of worldly spirituality denoted by seven, he can aspire to the higher level symbolized by eight. In commenting on the inauguration of the sanctuary that took place after seven days of preparation, Rabbi Hirsch says, with the eighth day, a new beginning is made similar to the octave in music, which is on a higher level. And that's Rabbi Hirsch dropping bombs on Vayikra 9-1. So anyway, Grace, we'll finish with this and I'll continue on, says that... Um, the sequence of the letters of the holy tongue, okay, the sequence, 
which is the Aleph Bait. So Aleph Bait Gimel Dalit Hey Vav Zayin. Okay. Anyway, uh, all of that says that's the sequence. And then it calls it the Holy Tongue. Like, okay, so if you want to speak in tongues, there you go. The Holy Tongue right there. And if you want to know what the language of Hashemayim is, there you go. It's right there. That's what that little phrase just told us. It told us all of that. The sequence of the letters of the Holy Tongue teaches. If you learn Torah, which is Aleph Beit, that's what that means. Aleph Beit is if you learn Torah. Gemel Dalit, which translates as are kind to the poor. Then Hey Vav, which is Hashem will not only sustain, which is Zion, you as he does all creatures, but Chan Otka, which is Chet. So Chet stands for Chan Otka, which means he will show you favor. He will show you favor. So Aleph through Chet. So if we go Aleph Bey Gimel Dalit Hey Vav Zayin Chet, if you just say those letters and that sequence, which is the sequence of the Aleph Bet, that translates to if you learn Torah and are kind to the poor, then God will not only sustain you as He does all creatures, but He will show you favor, i.e., He will endow you with grace. You can find that in Maseket Shabbat 104a, Talmud Bavli. Get it. Okay. That's ridiculous, by the way. Just just understand that when you're teaching your children the alphabet and when you're teaching yourself, because we're kids. I'm a big kid. I'm a big kid now. Okay, anyway, so learning the alphabet, that's, that's what we're getting into. That's, oh, goodness. Okay, so... Parsha Shemini, opening up with the first comment from the Zohar. Zohar Shemini 1-1. Ready? Put on your seatbelt. Um, you probably already know this, but put your seatbelt on again. Here we go. And it came to pass on the eighth day. Vayikra 9-1. Rabbi Yitzhak opened the discussion, saying, When the morning stars sang together, you know, like Tehillim 22, the uh, the morning star Hashachar the the Mizmor Ayelit okay anyway song of the the morning star all that kind of stuff Mashiach says he'll give to you the morning star that's in Revelation okay anyway morning stars sing together and all the sons of Elohim shouted for joy he starts a discussion on Vayikra 9-1, using a verse that I just said, the morning star sang together with all the sons of Elohim shouted for joy, from Eov, which is Job 38-7. So attach Eov 38-7 to Vayikra 9-1, and you get this from Rabbi Yitzhak and Zohar 1-1 on Shemini. Blessed are Yisrael because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given them the Holy Torah, the joy of all, the joy of the Holy One, blessed be He, and the place where He walks. Oh my goodness. Okay. 
First of all, the joy of Hashem, Simkat Eloheinu, okay, the joy of our God, is Torah. Then it says the Torah is holy. So when Hashem says, be holy as I am holy, because Hashem is the Torah, he wants us to be holy like the Torah. Then it says, this is the place where Hashem walks. If you want to walk with Hashem, and if you want Hashem to walk with you, then that means grab a hold of the Torah, do it, eat it, manifest it, walk in it, and you're called walking with Hashem. You know, the whole walk with God, live your life with Hashem. Okay? And here's what he says. As it is written, and I was daily his delight. Mishle 8.30. Ready. The holy, or the whole Torah, the holy, whole Torah, is one holy name of the Holy One, blessed be He. The Torah is what this is saying, okay? Just, I'm, I can't breathe right now, but it says that the Torah is one name of the Holy One, Hashem, basically. Like, if you go from the Bet of Bereshit all the way through the Lamed of Yisrael, that is one name of Hashem. Which means the first and last letter, Bet and Lamet, which by the way is Baal, which means master. If you spell it backwards, it means Lev, which is heart. The heart of Hashem, if Hashem is your master, you're in his name, which is the Torah. Anyway, so that's Zohar 1.1. Shall I go on? Of course. Let's see what else it says. By the Torah, the world was created. Oh my goodness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh. And Bereshit bara Adohim. Et HaShemayim Aretz. And in the beginning, Hashem created the world. Yeah. Bereshit, which means is with Reshit, which is with the beginning, which is Reshit. With the first, which is Rashid, that translates to with the Torah. So, yeah. So the Torah became flesh. Hashem created with the Torah. So the Creator is the Torah, even though it was used by Hashem to create. But the Torah and Hashem are one, and it's Hashem's name. So really, Hashem's name created the world. Okay. So they go back to the same passage of Mishle. By the way, Mishle is Proverbs. And it says, do not pronounce it as nursling, but as uman, which literally means artificer. For it was his instrument of art for the creation of the world. That's enough of that. Okay, Hashem is an artist, to say the least. Oh, of course. Man was created by Torah. So this is Zohar uh, Zohar 1-2 on Shemini. And man was created by the Torah. As it is written, and Elohim said, let us let us make man. Bereshit 126. Written in a plural form, let us, okay. And then it says, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to the Torah, I wish to create man. She... Because, you know, the Torah is also called the Shekinah. So, again, remember that even though Mashiach is the Torah, remember the first man, which is Adam, was also male and female when he was created. Like, male and female, he created them. 
which is him, Adam, and Hava as one. That's how we were created. That's the original masculine and feminine all wrapped up in one. Just like the Torah, the Torah is masculine and feminine all wrapped up in one because it is the Shekinah, but it's also the Mashiach. Anyway, who is a man? And everybody knows from commentary that Mashiach is a man who is called the righteous one who is taken as atonement for Israel. We went over that uh, a few Torah portions ago. So uh, this is why it's important. If you're wanting to know things in Judaism and in Torah, you have to just follow the cycle. You'll get there when you get there because everything builds on itself. And at some point, your question gets answered at the most random point. So if you want to know where in the Torah do we find the validity of Mashiach's offering as like atonement for us and like his resurrection and all that, like, okay, so just study Torah and hold that right there close to your heart in your pocket. Okay, because it's going to come out and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I, I was not aware that that's what we're okay. Well, all right. So anyway eyes up stay in it uh this is just like the uh if you ever been to a water park uh i haven't been to one in a long time but there's a winding river thing that you can either swim in or you can just like get on your tube and like float through okay that's what the tour portions are it's moving water like a mikvah you know but you got to get in it and you know be aware don't just get in and stand because there's other people in it and they will run you over not on purpose, but because the water's moving <laughs> and the water is strong. So it will push you. So you're like, get, get, get in it. Okay. Anyway. So it says, she replied, talking about the Torah, Zohar, uh, here on Shemini. It says, this man is destined to sin and provoke you unless you are long suffering with him. How then shall he endure? And he replied to her. Hashem replied to the Torah, you and I shall maintain him in the world for I am not called long suffering for no reason. So I always quote this off the top of my dome, but I'm going to say this by reading it like a true Torah person would. Yochanan 17.1 After Yeshua said these things, he looked up toward Hashemayim and said, Avinu, or my father, he said, Avi, Sheba Shemayim, uh, my father was in heaven. So, Father, the time has come. It is now the appointed time, basically, because, you know, Mashiach knows the times, except for one. But anyway, just, just keep going. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you just as you gave him authority over all mankind. Oh, yeah, because, you know, he kind of created us like this. We're talking about in Zohar, right? So that he might give eternal life to all those whom you have given him. Ready? And this is eternal life to know you, the one true God, Hashem Echad, and him, which is Mashiach, Yeshua, Memtet, Moray, Derek, the teacher of the way, whom you sent, Yeshua, the Messiah. Because the Zohar just said, Hashem and the Torah are going to maintain man in the world. Because he's going to give us, they're going to give us eternal life, which is really he, because they're both one. So, 
anyway. That's absolutely insanity. So I hope I mentioned the grace thing. He will show you favor, uh, favor the number chet or the letter chet, the number chet. That's funny because chet means eight. Anyway, um, it says that it is a cognate of the word chinam, which means free and refers to the divine attribute of Chanun, which is, by the way, the uh, root of Yohanan, which is John, okay? And, uh, wow, this is insane. I, I don't know how I'm reading this right now. Okay, oh, by the grace of God, I get it. Okay, anyway, uh, divine attribute of Chanun, Yohanan kind of thing, is the gracious one who favors man with his kindness, even at times and in situations where man's merits are inadequate. Better Coat 7A, Devarim 323, cited from Rashi. Okay, sourced out, super insanity. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a few cliff notes here about uh, what I wanted to... Uh, make sure it was vocalized from myself um from this podcast this week um it's first up benny b on his commentary to uh parsha shimini you know he first of all he goes off on this whole thing about you know kosher kashrut like he so he really spends time on understanding kashrut and all that kind of stuff, which happens at the end of this tour portion, but it's all connected to transcending the natural world. So if you want to transcend the natural world, just eat kosher is one way you can do it. Anyway, kosher is the word for fit or appropriate or Hashem approved. You know, we have this gif that says uh, Chuck Norris approves and it's like Chuck Norris giving a thumbs up. Kashrut is like Hashem with a thumbs up. It's like Hashem approved. You may eat that. Okay. Um, one of the things that I wanted to say, when you look at food in general, food and our human minds, Benny B also says this too, is we think it's whatever we want to eat. Like that's what we think is food. But what Hashem thinks is food is certain things that we're supposed to eat and certain things that we're not supposed to eat. And what you're not supposed to eat doesn't even qualify as food it's called unclean and it's called not food so if you want to say that Hashem made all foods clean that is a uh, what do we call that that's a redundancy that is a uh, oxymoron no not oxymoron because that's weird it's saying the same thing twice like Hashem made all foods all foods is basically what I'm what I'm trying to say because food, by Hashem's definition, already comes clean. So cow is clean, and it's also food. Chicken is clean, and it's also called food. Fish that have fins and scales, like, you know, salmon, it's clean, and it's also called food i.e. Hashem approves. So if we really take the passage, yes, I'm talking about Mark chapter 7, where there's a parenthetical statement that's been tripping up people for 2,000 years for some reason. 
says that Mashiach made all foods clean because he said it's not what comes, what goes into you that makes you unclean, but what comes out of you that makes you unclean. It's just like, yeah, by this, he declared all foods clean. It's like food has never been unclean. So I don't know what you're talking about with that. Um, but anyway, and furthermore, whoever made that parenthetical statement in there, put words in Yeshua's mouth, which I, I don't want to be the one to do that. I'm just saying like you were very bold, sir or ma'am or person that did that. And uh, second of all, the conversation was not about food we as jews don't have conversations about what is or isn't food like ready to like choke somebody like we don't do that we go does this have a hexer on it okay brukashim or if we are really uh doing what we're supposed to do we don't uh judge our brother uh harshly or our sister harshly and we know that if they're going to give us something that it's going to be kosher because Obviously, they're Jewish. Why should I say, hey, is this kosher? Because that's kind of like, hey, I don't trust you. Are you really in the covenant? And it's just kind of like, wow, where, where, why we got to sweep the leg? Just, just calm down. Just eat the eat the biscuit, man. I got I got you. This is a dairy meal and this is a biscuit. So I'm going to give you this biscuit and you should know it's kosher because I wouldn't give it to you if it wasn't because I'm a Jew. Eat this biscuit. OK, anyway. So, whoever was commenting on Mark chapter 7 and decided that this conversation is not about hand washing and purity laws and it's now about kashrut, what in the world? Just, uh, wh why? Okay, anyway, so I'm just forever baffled by that. Um, anyway, so he gets into this. One of the coolest things that he says check this out so he quotes you know matthew 5 17 through 18 talking about the torah will not be abolished unless the heavens and the earth pass away shiach says don't think that i came to abolish the torah so if you even have a theology about mashiach abolishing the torah you've already violated the first word of the verse like okay anyway uh so anyway it says so he does all that and this is what benny b says he says, any suggestion that the dietary laws have been abolished stands in stark. <laughs> he said stark. I love it. Stark contrast to what Yeshua says in Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Any suggestion that the dietary laws, because dietary laws are part of Torah. So if you're talking Torah, you're talking dietary laws. Anyway, he says, therefore outdated theologies of Torah being abolished need to be abolished. <laughs> I love it. There's just, I love that. That's just incredible. Okay. This is why I call him Benny B. That's, that's his hood name, even though his real name is Ben Burton, but he Benny B. He throwing down. Okay. Anyway. And it says, we must attempt to understand his words in their original context, understand Mashiach's words in their original context. It may be surprising that the passages in Mark and Matthew are not discussing dietary laws. They are discussing laws of Taharot, which is laws of ritual purity. In the Second Temple era, ritual purity was taken more seriously than shedding of blood. As the Talmud laments in Yoma 23a, he sources it out. 
what he just said is people are so focused on clean and unclean that somebody can get shot and they're like, well, so sad for that person. I guess Baruch Diana met, but this hand washing, no. And it's just like, hold up. Somebody just died. You got to bury the person. You got to start the trial and figure out who the murderer was. Like, no, we don't care about that. Get them out of here. Let get this Shulkan Rook out. Oh, Shulkan Rook wasn't written yet. But get get out the Mishnah right now. And we're going to talk about this purity thing. Because I ain't touching this body because it's going to make me impure. Because if I touch a corpse, oh my gosh. And wow. So anyway, that is really crazy. Okay. It's just like, why would you stroll up to Sar Shalom and be like, do y'all have a hand washing station? Because if y'all don't, I don't want to even come to service. It's just kind of like, what what just happened? Like, do you even want to know about the word of God? It's like, well, I can't hear the word of God unless y'all wash your dirty hands. And it's just kind of like, that's that's kind of the the mentality here that is being talked about in Mark chapter 7 and also uh, in passage from Matthew uh, Matthew 15, uh, one through nine correlates with Mark seven, one through 23. But anyway, so don't be a Yoma 23. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, get down to the heart of the matter, which is what Mashiach did. He says, okay. So back to Benny B the focus of this passage is the application of the then recently introduced tradition of Netilat Yadayim. First of all, when this subject is approached, Netilat Yadayim, Outside of the Taruma training, which is the priestly portions, the set apart for the, the Kohanim and their households and all that kind of stuff, Netilat Yadigim wasn't really practiced until it's starting to come into practice right about this time frame of this account. So this is like crazy. It's like something brand new that we're like looking at implementing into our customs. Not even a Torah mitzvah, but just one of our customs, because the whole thing about washing your hands before eating bread, which is what Netilat Yadayim is for, by the way, uh, in a custom. It's not like you have to do this or your bread is like, don't even bless it anymore. Just eat your food and run away and don't even bless Hashem for it. It's like, that's not right. The whole thing about Netilat Yadayim, it was training the priest about what the Taruma is. Taruma is like very, very holy. It's like you're eating food that was literally sacrificed on the altar to Hashem. Like this is super holy. This is beyond glot kosher. Like you don't, you can't buy this at your kosher daily. Like you get this directly off the altar and you prepare yourself in a state of purity to eat it. Like you have to be in a state of purity to eat it. So like this Netilat Yadayim is now in uh, Mark 7 and, and in Matthew 15, it's now coming down into like common everyday uh, practice, like with us just having our normal meals and things. So that's the level that Netilat Yadayim has now reached. And so it's just kind of like, so with that being the case, it's not really an established halakha or custom or anything. And it says, Netilat Yadayim is the ritual washing of the hands says this is different than washing your hands from filth and bacteria. Like this is not just give me some soap and water and da, 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 da. This ritual was for purity, a concept that is mostly foreign to today's understanding or today's readers is the way he puts it. He says, in context, declaring all foods clean would mean that they are ritually impure or sleek. 
in the context, declaring all foods clean would mean that they are ritually pure. In other words, they do not contract impurity, which is tuma, from unwashed hands. Okay. So all of that to say that he goes on to kind of summarize it through using Rambam's Mishneh Torah, uh, Ochalin 16.12, and then he gets into uh, a scholar named Daniel Boyarin, who uh, has a book called The Jewish Gospels and brings out an insight on the text. And he does all that to say this, Yeshua brilliantly used the laws of Tohorot, ritual purity, to expose the impurity coming out of the hearts of those who attacked him. It was a particularly biting response considering the importance of ritual purity was given at the time of the temple. There is no, there is one further point to make on this. And then it's, he quotes uh, Acts chapter 10, beautiful, and all of that. So, what I took away from that was this beautiful lens that's now overlaid over that to show us if we thought it was what it was as far as making foods unclean and whether or not Netilat Yadayim does certain things to our status as pure or unpure. We have to understand when we go back to Torah that it has never been what goes in us that makes us unclean, but it's always what comes out of us. Have you heard of Parsha Tazria? Have you heard of Parsha Medzora? Have you heard of other Torah portions that talk about um, bodily functions that disqualify us from uh, being able to enter into the temple precinct? Because if we have certain fluids or things that come out of us, they make us ceremonially or ritually impure. And it's just kind of like, wow, like I never thought about that. So. When I'm just gleaning through Benny B here, I just kind of saw that come to the front where it's just kind of like even Yeshua was trying to help people understand it's not what goes in you. It's what comes out of you. This is why he talks about actions and things like that. And the Kepha uh, passage from Acts chapter 10, he answers himself uh, later in that chapter. Uh, and he says that Hashem was showing me not to call people that he made clean or people that have been seen as common or unclean like don't consider them unclean because Hashem has cleaned them in other words they've gone from ceremonial and ritual impurity to a state of ceremonial and ritual purity by the spirit of Hashem because the spirit of Hashem is a mikvah because the mikvah is the Torah the Torah is the word of God which when it comes in us it makes us a new creation because the Torah created us in the first place and so it obviously can recreate us and so therefore if we were in a status of impurity and uncleanness through Hashem's grace the chet he can mikvah us and immerse us into that which makes us pure literally putting his spirit inside of us, putting the Torah inside of us and nothing can defile the Torah. So if the Torah is inside of a person, whatever's impure in a person is getting cleaned and it has been cleaned. So anyway, so that's what Kepha kind of summarized. And so may we all understand that when people start talking about Mark or Matthew about this whole all foods clean business and it's not what goes in, I can eat whatever I want. It's like, no, 
It's always what comes out of you. Okay? So just just remember that. Just read Torah portion Tazriah, when the woman shall give birth. Childbirth is going to make a woman unclean. And then, you know, man, when we have a discharge of our bodily fluids uh, that happen during intimacy with our spouses, with our spouse, not spouses. Okay, that also makes us ritually uh, impure, which I love that Zakin, um, Zakin Yosef, who I call Hadavar, who is Hadavar, really, uh, the thing, basically, from the Fantastic Four, he's that Jewish version of that. He was bringing down in the Chesed class from week three that one of the uh, the underlying reasons behind Miriam getting leprosy in Bamibar in the uh, in the in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, Parsha Beha Aloteka, because she was all like, well, you know, Aharon and I, we we didn't divorce our spouse so that we could be prophets and be with Hashem. Like, so why does Moshe think he can do it? And Hashem is like, you speak against Moshe? You need to come to the tent of meeting and leprosy. Okay. Anyway. So all of that, the underlying uh, thing behind that was Moshe had to be ready at a moment's notice to be summoned to Hashem without having to wait the time out for what happens when a husband and a wife have intimacy. So anyway, all of that stuff to say uncleanness as far as ritual and ceremonial, you know, it happens because what comes out, not because what goes in. So I really wanted to spend some time and kind of develop that and share that this week because that was something that uh, is just so fundamental for us. And I'm thankful that Hashem has revealed uh, more light to give us better background and understanding, more sources, so on and so forth. All right. So uh, so that's that. So what comes out of us makes us impure. OK, so that's the only thing that can make us impure. And it's like, and it, we need to understand it. It's not this whole thing about, um, you know what? I'm just going to read. I'm going to read the Rambam. I just, I should just do that. Okay, here we go. That Rambam Mishneh Torah that I was talking about. Here it goes. This is Ochalin, O-C-H-A-L-I-N, 1612. Even though it is permitted to eat impure foods, you know, because... All things are permitted, but not all things are beneficial, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, uh, even though it is permitted to eat impure foods and drink impure beverages, which, by the way, what kind of person are you if that's what you think you should do? And if it's what you commonly practice, it's just kind of like, why am I doing this? Why? Why did I not get the ho the uh, <laughs> the hosher, the hexer drink as opposed to the non hexer drink? You know, was I just doing it because or was I just like, ah, whatever with this Kashrut stuff and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it says, even though it is permitted to eat impure foods and drink impure beverages, the pious men. OK, get this. The pious men, the Hasidim, OK, the Hasidics, the Lepidniks of early generations would partake of their ordinary food in a state of ritual or ritual purity. And would avoid all sources of impurity throughout their lives. These people, they, they're called Perushim, i.e. Pharisees. 
This is an extra measure of holiness and a path to piety. An extra measure of holiness. Parsha Shemini, the Chet, the Eight, the transcending the physical, the going into the higher realm of spirituality. That's what that statement is saying. To be separate from people at large, to hold oneself apart from them, not to touch them, nor eat and drink with them. For, which by the way, not to touch them or eat or drink with them, that's the whole thing behind Acts chapter 10. But clearly Hashem said, no, that is not how we do things. Because if I have worked in this person's life, and by the way, I want you to be going out to people anyway. So if you don't want to go out and reach, literally reach out and touch people, not necessarily like physically touch them, but like go into where they are, you know, and, and be able to uh, minister to them, then uh, you need to understand that I'm going to put my spirits upon those who are desiring truth. And when that when that happens, they're not going to defile you and you are not to call them defiled or even think like that. So that's the whole thing behind Acts chapter 10. But anyway, it's never about food. <laughs> it's just like we love to eat. We obviously get what we're supposed to eat. That's why we love to eat. OK, anyway. So for setting oneself apart leads to purification of the body from wicked actions. So if you want to distance yourself from sin, you have to start setting yourself apart. Again, Parsha Shemini. Again, Torah and Mitzvot. Again, Kashrut. It says purifying one's body leads to sanctifying one's soul from wicked character traits. Okay, so Bezrat Hashem, that wraps it all up. We, It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And what comes out is determined by what we're putting in. Okay, so now. I want to go to G Shekel because G Shekel went absolutely ballistic. Um, he was doing a whole drop on um, the death of Nadab and Avihu. And then he just took everything and the kitchen sink and just threw it with this insane Zohar drop about how the death of the righteous make atonement for the people of Israel. So here we go. So Sonsino Zohar, Bar Meatball, section three, page 218a. I got to talk like this because I just feel like it's about to get cray. So it says, why is it that whenever sinners multiply in the world and punishment impends over the world, the virtuous among them are smitten for them. As we have learned that the guilt of the generation, that for the guilt of the generation, the holy and righteous are seized upon. Okay. We have learned that for the guilt of the generation, that the holy and righteous are seized upon. Why should this be? If because they do. Okay, I'm going to talk normal. If because they do not reprove mankind for their evil deeds. How many are there who do not. Or how many are there who do reprove. 
but are not listened to through the righteous do hump though the righteous do humble themselves before them. Okay. So why should it be that the righteous and the holy are seized upon like they're taken, okay, for the guilt of the generation and they're smitten, okay? They're like chastised, okay? It says if because they do not reprove mankind, okay, for their evil deeds, how many are there who do reprove but are not listened to? So in other words, they they're actively trying to reprove mankind but no one wants to listen. In other words, accusation, accusation, we don't care what you say, you're a false prophet anyway, and we don't want to hear that Torah stuff. So, all of that happens, right? It says, though this righteous person humbles himself before them, okay? If it is in order that there may be no one to shield them, let them not die, and let them not be seized for their sins, since it is since it is a satisfaction to the righteous to see their destruction. Okay. So the righteous and holy are taken. They're trying to reprove people, but no one's listening. And so if it is that there may be no one to shield them. So like no one's going to be able to be um, covered because of all this wicked action that's going on. It says, let them not die and let them not be seized for their sins. So let's not punish the people, even though they should be punished, even though they're in the right to be punished, even though um, they're uh, abusing the instrument that is trying to keep them from being in a position to be punished. So this is kind of crazily written, but I hope you're following. OK, so it says. It is a satisfaction to the righteous to see their destruction. Okay, so evil being destroyed like that, that brings a level of satisfaction to the righteous because you can't just let evil just keep running and and just taking over. You know, this is why we have locks on our doors. But anyway, it says he replied. It is true that for the guilt of the generation the righteous are seized upon, but we may explain this on the analogy of the limbs of a body. When all the limbs are in pain and suffering from sickness, one limb has to be smitten in order that all may be healed. And which one is it? The arm. The arm is smitten and blood is drawn from it. Like, you know, the IV drain, the shots that you take, the all that kind of stuff, right? That's all through the arm. It says the arm is smitten and blood is drawn from it. And this and this is healing for all the limbs. So men are like limbs of one body. When God desires to give healing to the world, he smites one righteous man among them with disease and suffering and through him gives healing to all as it is written but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities and with his stripes we are healed yeshiyahu 53 5 a righteous man is never afflicted unless it is to bring healing to his generation and to make atonement for it and for the other side, which is the other side of holiness, prefers p 
punishment that shall light upon the virtuous man. So evil's like, yeah, the righteous man got smited. This is beautiful. Okay. Rather, okay, so the the other side prefers that punishment should light upon the virtuous man rather than upon any other, for then it cares not for the whole world on the account of the joy it finds oh, finds in having power over him. So in other words, you look at how Mashiach was smitten for us because he is the arm of this whole body, which is called the world. And then evil was like, yeah, he's killed. He's crucified. This is great. And the satisfaction is found in him and it's taken away from us. So the more we focus on him, the more we start to understand, you know, what he did for us and how he truly did, you know, cover us and save us from our sins and transgressions. And he was afflicted to bring us healing. And so we are not to lightly take the sacrifice of Mashiach, the Akedah, the binding of Mashiach, the death of Mashiach, the resurrection, even more so, of Mashiach in vain. Pun intended, because it's like the arm and it's like taken in vain. But anyway, we have to really think about why did all this happen? What's the purpose of him dying? Why did Mashiach have to die in the first place? Oh yeah, because we sinned and transgressed against Hashem and like we were utterly uh, under condemnation. And so in order for all of that to change, that happened through Mashiach, which is the Torah, which is the arm, you know. And so now healing to the body means remove yourself from condemnation, i.e. there's no condemnation for those who are Mashiach. Oh, that's in the Agarit to the Romans, chapter eight. And then it's uh, and then we should know that we need to stop grabbing a hold of sin and like letting this disease stay in the body, like quit uh, drinking behind sick people, so to speak, as far as analogies go, uh, quit uh, washing your hair and going out in 30 degree weather without shoes on, like putting yourself in places that intentionally uh, compromise your immunity system, your immune system and possibly makes you sick. So anyway, like all those different examples. So we need to be taking care and taking responsibility for the new life that we now have in Mashiach. So that happened. So when we look at Nadab and Avihu, um, their death actually brought down the Shekinah in a permanent way in the Mishkan. So it was just kind of like, okay, the fire came down and everything, but like really the Mishkan was like now is really ready to go. Now it's like souped up because the righteous was taken from among the children of Israel and brought atonement and brought uh, renewal. So all of that extended over into obviously the one who is the epitome of all that. Nadab and Avihu are a picture of what is to come. So to think about Hashem pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and for all of us to be sealed with the Holy Spirit it's like, yeah, because, you know, the whole Nadav and Avihu thing that happened on a small scale, what happened on a big scale. So now we're all the Mishkan or the temple of Hashem and the Shekinah can now dwell within us. The Ruach HaKodesh can dwell within us. And so now it's just like, yeah, that's because Nadav and Avihu, i.e. epitomized in Mashiach Yeshua, his death and his uh, resurrection made that possible. So.
if you don't have the Ruach HaKodesh, which is, by the way, the uh, engine and the influence within us that leads us to Torah, then we need to go back and relook at uh, the healing that happened, the smiting of the arm, if you will. So, hope that made sense. And I want to finish up with uh, what Rabbi Griffin so beautifully began to talk about in the second Aliyah on Parsha Shemini about the laying on of hands, the lifting of hands, and the, uh, the, the spirituality and the Kedusha that's really connected, pun intended, to the hands. We're going to go all the way back to Parsha Beshalak. Parsha Beshalak happened where there's a story about the battle of children of Israel against one of our greatest enemies, which is Amalek. And this is from Rebbe Nachman. And he was talking about, if you really look at the Hebrew that says Moshe held up his hands, the word for held up is the word Amuna. The word Oh, by the way, I'm going to recite that uh, Zohar drop because I felt like that was very chunky. That was really kind of hard to follow and understand. But Bezrat Hashem, by the spirit of Hashem, we are all able to understand. Zohar Sonsino, Bami Bar, section 3, page 218a. Okay, Rukashim, that's all the drop on the arm that is smited to bring healing to the body, which is the world. Okay. So, Rebbe Nachman over here about the hands of Moshe being faith. Okay, so let me just read the verse. It is Shemot 17, 12. It says, Vahi Yadav Amuna. And his hands remain steady. Alright, so when you look at that, commentary says his hands were faith. That's another way you can translate it. It says, hands correspond both to action and faith. Because action and faith is, is how you say amuna. Okay? One word in Hebrew is like all these different words in English. So if you really want to be a person of amuna, that means you have action and you have belief. Okay? So if you have amuna and Hashem, you do what he says and you believe in what he says. Hence, Nasevanishma, we will do and we will hear. Okay, it says a person must use his hands intelligently, but must also draw up on faith, which is belief, which is Amuna. Lakute Maharon 1, 24-6. Okay, now here's where he says this most amazing thing. This is what made me buy the Rebbe Nachman Humash, because this, I'll give you a hint. It's about Mashiach says we must spread faith through the entire body so that it reaches even the extremities, i.e. the hands. Then when a person elevates his hands in prayer, he lifts up his prayers. One who prays properly can invoke the power of salvation such as that associated with Mashiach. Thus, when Moshe prayed, the Israelites were successful against Amalek. So what did he just say? 
other than when Moshe believed and acted praying for the children of Israel, the salvation of God was brought to give us victory against the primordial enemy of ours, which is a Melech, which is a uh, Asav, which is the serpent, which is Hasatan, Melech Hamavit, all of that. The, I mean, uh, Malak, the angel of death, okay? Evil sin, like salvation gives us the victory over sin. And it takes action, it takes belief. And these are the hands of Moshe that were lifted up for us. So that's Rebbe Nachman on that. Okay. And then uh, in our current Parsha, actually, I'm going to go back real quick to uh, Parsha Vayikra, because the other thing about we lay our hands on our sacrifices, uh, that's important because, let me get out of Shemot real quick and get actually into Vayikra. Flippity page, flippity page. Yep. And yep. And yep. Okay. There we go. Wow. Okay. Chapter four, verse four, Vayikra. He should bring the bull uh, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before God. Vesamak et yadav. He shall lean his hands. He shall make a samak on the head of the bull. Because samak is samak. That's how you spell the word samak. Samak, mem, kaf, sofit is samak. Yes, I'm going to do gematria. Here we go. 60 plus 40 is 100. 120. 120. Not ringing a bell. Let me run it through the systems over here. I feel like 120 is something. What is 120? Thank you for your patience. Moed, <laughs> appointed time, and also the meeting, okay, so like the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, so that, and also Nisi, which is banner or miracle, which is one letter short of Nisan, like the month of Nisan, anyway. Uh, let's see. I'm just looking if there's anything else. I just love Gamatra, so sometimes I just kind of get caught up, and hopefully, I am not getting too caught up. Um, yep, okay, Rukashim. So, anyway, uh, Nisi, my miracle, my banner. And also Moed, appointed time or meeting. So when we look at the fact of the Samic and what we do with our hands, uh, they bring us into this, uh, this meeting. They bring us into this miracle or banner. 
Um, and I know Degel is another word for banner, but uh, Nisi, like Hashem, Nisi Hashem is my banner, Hashem is my miracle. That's also used uh, for what Moshe did right after the whole raising the hands incident. But anyway, back over here with the leaning on the hands, it says, so this is Rebbe Nachman again, Vayikra 4.4 from Parsha Vayikra, says, before the animal was slaughtered and its blood was sprinkled on the altar, the penitent, which by the way, did you know before the sacrifice could actually take place, you had to make teshuva? So, like, you couldn't do this whole, like, here's my goat, okay, sacrifice it, I've, I'm sorry, kind of. Like, no, that didn't work. Which, by the way, is the same thing for when you enter into a mikvah. If you mikvah and be like, well, kind of, purify me, Hashem, that doesn't work. You might as well take a snake in there with you, is what literally the Chazal say on that. But anyway, you have to repent before the um, the effect of the sacrifice can take place. So repent means stop doing that, which puts you in a place of sin and judgment and condemnation and bondage. And so if we really talk about accepting the sacrifice of Mashiach and his resurrection, if we haven't repented, uh, yeah, there's kind of a high impedance air gap. There's a failure to communicate. Anyway, so the penitent placed his hands upon the animal and confessed his sins. Why is it in the Agarit to the Romans in chapter 10 that we are to confess with our mouth our salvation? And why is this all connected to raising the hands? Because it's evoking the power of salvation, the power of deliverance, the power of victory. Anyway, Selah, just thinking about all that. It says, so you got to confess, and it says the main repentance, however, occurs on Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the 10 days of repentance. On that day, one can appeal directly to Hashem for forgiveness. So everything that we're doing is just an offshoot of really Rosh Hashanah when it comes to our confessing, repenting, and making shuva. It's all offshooting from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, because that's the time where everything, all the processing of the check, so to speak, is uh, happening. The financial transaction. But everything is still on hold and put up on the scoreboard and be like, OK, this needs to get taken care of. This happened. This needs to be worked on. This needs to be fixed. Time's coming for the bill to be due. Got to be paid for. So anyway. It says, why is repentance accepted more easily on Rosh Hashanah when a person's transgressions are presented before an earthly court? He cannot reverse the verdict after it is decreed. But when one repents before the heavenly court, recognizing that God created the world out of his goodness and created us to receive his gifts, his remorse has the power to overturn the verdict. Lakute Halakot 1, 478. All right. By the way, God's commandments, which is mitzvah, it says has the same root as zevit, which means join, which we talk about the mother of David. Her name is Nitzevet, which means our joining. So the mother, our joining, gave birth to the Mashiach, the father of uh, Mashiach Yeshua, like David Hamelech. So, you know, Mashiach ben David was birthed or ben David was birthed by Miriam 
and Ben or the David who Mashiach is a Ben of was birthed by our joining. So there's all that. Then it says Avera, which is sin, has the same root as Avar, which means to pass through or over. A mitzvah joins a person to God. A mitzvah causes the light of God to pass through or over a person, restricting him from experiencing the light of God. Lakute Halakot 1. So there's all that. The hands connect us actually to the deliverance of Hashem. So if I could choose something out of Parsha Shemini. Um... Yeah, let's do it. Nine twenty-two. The hands, because this is all hands on deck right here. All right. So nine twenty-two in Vayikra talks about Aharon lifted his hands. Vayisa Aharon et Yadav. Which, by the way, this is where the priestly blessing actually takes place. The Birkat Takoanim. The Yevarekka Nonai Veyishmerekha. That bracha. Here's where it's introduced, Parsha Shemini, right here. So later, when we get into Sefer Bamibar, the book of Numbers, we're going to see the priestly blessing come out, and we need to know that it ties back to Parsha Vayikra. Torah is so legit when you really just kind of look at the timeline of everything, because nothing is chronological. And so you kind of have to put the pieces together, and you're like, oh my goodness, that happened here. That was like this Torah portion with this Torah portion. And it's just kind of like, wow, those are like two books apart. And it's just like, yep. But anyway, so commentary from Rebbe Nachman says, Aharon raised his hands in order to draw down blessing from above. Lakute Maharon 1, 24-4. Or volume 1, I should say. Lakute Maharon, volume 1, 24-4. Okay, God's blessings emanate from the highest sephirah which is Keter, and devolve through the Sephirot below it. Okay, so remember that whole thing about the Kabbalah, the Tree of Life and everything? Like, okay, so use that properly. Okay, so there are 10 of those Sephirot, and you bring it on down. The light starts from the top of that, and it goes through each of those bubbles until it gets to Malkut, which is this world. Okay, and then that's where we experience the light. So the light that be that starts off basically like super legit and like un uh unpasteurized or whatever unprocessed or unfiltered basically as it lowers through the sephi road it has this uh contracting this lessening if you will that's happening to get into this world so the obvious uh statement that needs to be said now is how do you make sure the light doesn't lose anything and come down into this world well i'm glad you did not ask but i asked for you so that i can say uh rabbi pinkus winston uh has a book on this and i'm not going to tell you what it is but i will say that everything that we teach us our shalom lets us know how to bring down light unfiltered how to draw down blessings unfiltered how it's posted in our hallway it says avoda torah Chesed. These are the pillars of the world. And it's pure chaos vote. And so when you really look at what we're actually experiencing as Lapidim, the true light of Hashem, 
we're understanding Hashem, like that's happening because we're people of prayer, we're people of Torah, and we're people of good deeds. And all of that is undiscriminate and without measure. So yes, pray without ceasing. Study Torah as much as you can for the sake of Hashemayim, for the sake of heaven, not for impure motives or gain. And study it to draw near to Yeshua, for crying out loud, right? And then do acts of kindness. It doesn't matter if the person is Jewish or not. Like, it shouldn't even matter. It's the person. I want to do kindness to it. As Rabbi Griffin brought down, you even want to do that to the animals because that's what being a peacemaker in the world is. So anyway, that's how you can bring down this light. So when you think about what this comment is saying here, that God's blessings come from the highest sephirah of Keter and devolve all the way to the sephirah below it. it says, in the three upper sephirah, which is Keter, Chokmah, and Bina, which is the crown, the wisdom, and the understanding, God's bounty is hidden. Okay, so at the top, it's hidden. We can't really see it, but it's there. This is why when you lift your hands, you're by faith connecting and reaching up to that which is hidden, that it may be revealed. So this is why you look like a crazy person, but it's it's like it's manifesting, it's taking place, which is why we have to understand that our believing and our doing, like things are actually happening. If you are rapping to feeling and covering into lead and davening, things are actually happening. You can't see it, but it's being drawn down. It takes sometimes time for that to happen, or it takes the ability to be able to see, to have eyes to see for that to happen, okay? But anyway, it says, it only begins to become manifest in the next two sephirot, which is chesed and gevorah, which chesed is kindness, gevorah is judgment. And then it says, it corresponds to the right and left hands, respectively. So the right hand is chesed, the left hand is gevorah. So this is the next level of where what's hidden is becoming revealed. So lifting up our hands is lifting up to attach and connect to that which is hidden to start to bring it in. It says, thus, Aharon's hands, or Aharon raises hands. We too can draw blessing through our hands by, or both, by raising them up in prayer to God and by using them for positive deeds. So, you know, you'll probably notice if you're, I don't want you to pay attention, but if you look back at the footage, there are some times where I'm like lifting my hands and I'm like praying and stuff whenever I'm leading service or singing. And um, that is literally, you know, why I do that. You know, this is why Bezrat Hashem people are doing this in shul. Is we're trying to draw, we're not that we're trying to, we are drawing down blessing. We are evoking salvation, you know, invoking salvation upon ourselves, you know, really being cleansed, purified, really showing Hashem that He is our trust, really attaching, joining, connecting, making teshuva, like all of that's happening. And so, what we do with our hands is important because it's attached to what we believe. And it's attached to what we ultimately have in our heart. So knowing that we confess and believe and that flows out of our hearts and it flows into our hands and we lift them up to attach and connect to Hashem. That's the business. All right. Baruch Hashem. So Parsha Shemini, uh, transcending the natural world, moving into the holy. We're elevating now. This week is Parsha. Uh, 
Shabbat, Slika. This week is Shabbat Para, which is the Shabbat of purification or atonement, all about the sprinkling of the red heifer. And that is all about moving from death into life. You know, we just battled with Amalek from Purim. And uh, when you go out to war, we're going to learn this later in the Torah portions, you are probably around some dead bodies or you made a dead body because you defeated one of your enemies and he can't move no more. So you have to be cleansed before you can really come back into the camp. And so after our fighting with Amalek on Purim and doing everything that we did through joy and everything, we now have to be purified so that we can continue to elevate and ascend to be ready for Shabbat uh, HaKodesh, which is the first Shabbat of Nisan, and to get ready for Shabbat Hagadol, which is the Shabbat right before Pesach, and then to go into Pesach, to go into counting the Omer, to go into Shavuot. Everything is up, 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 ascend, 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 which means that we're going to be conformed. We're not going to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. And we're going to have our mind renewed. So that means less and less of things that disconnect us and separate us from Hashem, less and less of things that are distractions like this is the opportunity that we have before us to do that. And by the way, this ultimately prepares us and makes the highway, quote unquote, in the wilderness for the return of Mashiach. So we have to uh, be prepared and be ready for that and be up to that task. And please know that the things that we give up, you know, that we lose our life for on a daily basis for the sake of following Mashiach, he says you have to be willing to lose your life if you want to follow me. I.e., like all of our activities and mundane things that we do that distract us or that we do to excess when we should take that time to use it for Shem. Not saying that we need to become monks or anything, but I'm just saying that as far as understanding the balance, the elevation and doing less and less of things that pull us off track. But still having our human enjoyment, you know, um, we still need to eat. You can go watch a movie. Avengers Infinity War is coming out like the uh, the end game thing. So, I mean, that's something, you know, obviously that's what I like to do. But you may like something else. I mean, aren't there like the Lion King is coming out, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, we're getting ready for Pesach and we're we're transitioning into the Alam Haba at some point. Bezrat Hashem. Speedily and sooner in our days, because when Mashiach returns, you know, that's happening. So uh, just elevating. And that means, you know, growing, spiritual growth, true growth uh, and purifying ourselves, having clear thoughts or having clean and pure thoughts, you know, pushing out all of our negative thoughts. And I'm convicting myself. So that's enough on the thoughts. OK, so uh, no, I'm just kidding. But really, we got to push out the negative thoughts and, um, you know, speak life and uh, walk in life and, uh, you know, encourage other people, cut off Lashon Hara, you know, get ready for the Seder that's going to happen in your own home or in the home of someone who invites you, you know, um, Pesach, you know, we're going to be eating matzah, we're going to get rid of hummets, start cleaning now, you know, start thinking about things that you're not going to need to eat over the next few weeks and that you need to eat by the next few weeks. Have a pancake cookout this week if you got pancake mix and invite me. But anyway, I say all that to say encouragement. Please, let's all elevate. 
We are superheroes because the light of Hashem is within us and we have attached ourselves to Mashiach, who is the true vine. And we have true power. We have true light and we can stand for Hashem and bring light in the time of present darkness. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch abah b'shem Adonai.